Memorial Stadium. Since 1962. Since 1962. A sellout crowd. A sellout crowd. All sold out. Hey, we sold out, but we still saved you a seat. The sellout with Mitch Sherman and Max Olson. Hello and welcome into the sellouts. I'm Mitch Sherman. Max Olson is with me. We are trudging through January, Max. It's almost over. It'll be February in a couple days and just a month until spring football and and then four and a half months until real football. So I, I don't know how that makes you feel, but uh, I'm, I'm better just hearing that. I, I'm just focused on shoveling my driveway today, man. You know, one day at a time. All right. Yeah, I already did that. I Good did that you. once. for like, Yeah. It's like the third time this month, third or fourth, maybe fifth time. So Today with us, we have Bruce Feldman, National College Football Writer for The Athletic, also of Fox College Football TV, to discuss the hire this month of Matt Lubick as offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach, and perhaps the new ace West Coast recruiter at Nebraska. Bruce goes back more than a decade with Matt to the coach's time at Ole Miss in 05-06. Bruce spent the 2006 seven recruiting cycle with Ed Ogeron and the Old Mill Miss staff. We will get to that in just a minute. First, though, I don't know if we can talk this week without mentioning the story that's made these past few days feel unlike any around sports that I can recall. Bruce, you live in Southern California. You're connected to the sports world near your home. In the days since the death of Kobe and Gianna Bryant and seven others aboard a helicopter, his impact has resonated in every corner of our lives. It's made Super Bowl week at times feel insignificant, even here in Nebraska, where the Kansas City Chiefs' presence ought to have been a huge story. I'm curious to ask you, from your perspective near the epicenter of this tragedy, how do you envision Kobe's life and his shocking death impacting sports long-term, football and college football included? Yeah, it's it's complicated because, especially living here in Southern California, uh, Kobe was a transcendent figure in terms of pretty much every athlete that I can think of who is from this part of the country uh, idolized him. Uh, he had such a long run. Yeah. He was in L.A., especially when the Lakers were running. It wasn't like there was another NFL team here. So the Lakers were everything. Now USC had some you know, had had some run with the Pete Carroll days, and and certainly with Bush and Liner and that that era. But it wasn't like Kobe. I mean, he was a larger than life figure. Uh, and for a lot of people, with also what he had created with with the Mamba um, brand and the school he has, kind of in the Valley, and and so many athletes train there. I think it was not just this guy who you watch the highlights and you can see him now this week and you're like, you know, the dunks and the moves were pretty were pretty mind blowing for a lot of people. But I also think it was the mentality that a lot of a lot of athletes aspire to was just the work ethic and that kind of thing. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing it like on on Sunday, you know, everybody was out here especially I think was just in shock at the news and how it happened and the heartbreaking aspect of of not only Kobe but his daughter and and seven other people on that helicopter um I remember going into a supermarket sun, uh, Sunday night with my son and it's like 
there was a bunch of people wearing Kobe jerseys walking around. It, you know, it it has profoundly affected a lot of people here. And, um, you know, just, just even I watched the TNT show that they had before the game on um, Tuesday night. And just hearing oh, Jerry West and Shaq, it was just, you know, it was riveting TV. And, and you know, I think... Mitch and Mitch and I are both older than than Max, but um, I don't remember Jerry West playing. I only remember him as the executive and everything else. But to hear him especially talk about this um, was just is just kind of really really compelling. And and I think this is something that a lot of people are going to be sorting out and trying to make some sense of, and for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bruce, uh, on a lighter note, obviously we wanted to have you on to discuss um, Matt Lubick. You know, he's back in the coaching business. He's reuniting with Scott Frost. Uh, you certainly know him well. What, what do you think he brings to the table as, as a coach and a coordinator? Well, I think a couple of things. Uh, the familiarity he and Frost, I think, are, are so in lockstep on how they think on things. And I think for Scott Frost, I think that comfort factor um, is a big piece, especially now that we're getting into year three. Um, I think one of the things that I, and Mitch had brought up this a couple of minutes ago is he is a tireless recruiter. I mean, when when I was around him at Ole Miss, um, he's just relentless. I mean, he's a guy who's like evaluation and, and the pursuit of, of players was really a big part of his life. I mean, at, the, at that point. And after he left Ole Miss, he went on to Arizona State and he worked for Dennis Erickson. And I'm not exaggerating. He like signed like 75% of like a 25 man class one year. <laughs> and it how was is that fun. possible. Yeah, it was it's it was insane how much of an impact he made there. And it was like Vontez Perfect, who was a huge recruit back on the mm-hmm. West Coast. He was a five star linebacker. Lubick got him. He went into, I think it was Montana, to get Brock Osweiler, who obviously had a good career for them. They had a four-star cornerback from uh, like a little bit, you know, in Northern California. Lubick got him. Williams, Will Sutton, who was a terrific D lineman, who was kind of a project. Lubick got him. It was just like you could go up and down the list. It was almost like he was a one-man uh, one man recruiting whirlwind for them. So I think he will certainly help that because he's recruited everywhere. He's obviously got a lot of ties on the West Coast, but he, he had gone with his dad, Sonny, when uh, Erickson hired hired him uh, mm-hmm. in the early 90s. And so Matt had roots in Florida and he recruited there well. And one of the things that was like kind of like a running joke inside the Ole Miss football office back then was, he was seeing guys, and then maybe there were SEC players, maybe they weren't, but some of those guys ended up becoming really good players for Colorado State that Matt had kind of turned his dad's staff onto, and they became good players for the Rams. Um, so, uh, I, again, I'm very interested to see what the next step for for uh, for the Cornhuskers is. And also, you know, look, Matt spent a year out um, – and he did some consulting in the football world, but I think it's just very, uh, very mm-hmm. different to see how it's going to be. Because I feel like at one point, uh, towards the end, when he he had bounced around a bunch of places, I think one year he was on three staffs in about a month. You know, I at one point it was right. Ole Miss, <laughs> then it was Baylor, and then it was up to Washington. It's probably four in like two months. I don't even remember 
you know, the sequence beyond that. But I just think he's sure. going no, right. to have a different perspective coming out of this too, I think. You, um, I want to circle back a little bit to that time at Old Miss and you published Meat Market in, in 2007. Uh, this is, this is kind of the book that, that keeps on giving 12 years later. Uh, for those who, who aren't familiar, Bruce, you were deep inside the castle at Coach O's uh, old Miss and, and told the stories behind the stories and, and mainly in recruiting. And Matt, Matt Lubick was a 34 year old receivers coach on that staff. It was his first power five job, uh, aside from two years at, at, at Oregon state under Dennis Erickson while Mike Riley, uh, I know this comes all full circle from Nebraska people. He was in San Diego with, with Jim Harbaugh and the chargers between stints at Oregon state. So what, what other than, you know, his ability to recruit, what uh, what did you learn about a young Matt Lubick in, in in your time research researching for that book? So the I think I told Max this story this week on the phone. Um, my second day working on Meat Market, just on the reporting side, uh, was signing day. God, it was it was the whatever it might have been two thousand five. And after signing day, um, I went out for beers with the offensive coordinator Dan Warner, who had just got there, and we were at this barbecue place slash, you know, uh, like tavern. And a couple of people eventually had come up to me and I didn't have any old Miss gear on, but Dan did. And I, it's, you know, it's still a small town. They knew who Dan was. And they made some comments to me, which I was like, we're kind of puzzling. At one point somebody had referenced, you know, my, your dad is so underrated. And, and I was like, you know, thinking in this, my head, I was like, my dad's never set foot in the state of Mississippi and he's been gone for 20 years. So, it just was like, and then we kind of figured out they think I'm Lubick. And we're, uh-huh. you know, we're, I think I'm a little older than him and maybe a little bigger, but I could see the where they'd kind of get that. And so it was kind of funny um, to, to think that. Matt, uh, back then, had, it was really quirky in that he would basically, here he is in Oxford, Mississippi, which is like the deep south capital of like, heavy food, you know, fried foods and, and sweet tea. And he ate the same thing every day. It was like a turkey sub from Subway. And he never <laughs> ate the stuff that everybody else ate. And he worked out religiously. I mean, I would not exaggerate it that his body fat was probably the lower percentage than anybody on the Ole Miss team. Even, you know, even the guy he recruited there, Dexter McCluster, who weighed about 160 pounds. You know, he was just just fanatical about what he put in his body and how he took care of himself. And so, uh, was, you know, he was just a, um, he was, he was a little different from down there, but I think the thing that I remembered was as a position coach, he had the most inexperienced group. It was basically a bunch of guys that he and Frank Wilson had recruited and they turned out to be really good players. Dexter McCluster turned out to be as good a player, I think, as Ed Ogeron's staff recruited in those three years. I mean, sure. Michael Orr had more, uh, had certainly more stars by his name and certainly had more books sold. But <laughs> you saw what Dexter McCluster did. He was a three star guy who I think was from Largo, Florida, who hardly anybody knew about. And he was probably the closest thing to Reggie Bush as Ole Miss was going to have at that point. And they had uh, Mike Wallace, who was a Frank Wilson recruit, who turned out to be a really dynamic player. 
And Shea Hodge was a really, you know, was one of their all-time leading receivers by the time he left there. But that first, that year, Matt's last year, they didn't have a very good quarterback and all the receivers were basically freshmen. And so there were some growing pains there. And I think it was a just big picture wise, it was a challenge to see, hey, can we stick around long enough for these freshmen and these newcomers to develop and and uh, really kind of blossom into what we think they're going to be? And the short answer to that was no, they couldn't. They uh, they ended up getting the rug pulled out from under them after three years. But those players turned out to be really good players. And, and uh, you know, again, I come back to what Matt recruited there and and how relentless he was as a recruiter. That was that and his eating habits were the two things that really stood out, I think, <laughs> that most people there remembered about him. Well, and, and you know, uh, at, at Nebraska, you, you certainly need to be creative and, and aggressive in, in, in how you approach recruiting and, and where you go go get your talent uh, for where you're located. So curious to see how that, that fit kind of makes sense. But certainly a ton of familiarity between Scott Frost and, and Matt Lubick. And I, and I guess I'm, I'm wondering, you know, where, where's your curiosity level uh, when it comes to looking ahead to, to Nebraska in uh, year three under under Frost after two seasons that have uh, certainly been uh, more of a struggle than than probably anybody anticipated. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see what happens. I mean, look, I'm not off the the Martinez bandwagon at this point. I still think he's going to be a a huge star for them. I know there's been. And look, I mean, you guys are closer to it than me, you know, seeing it every week and living there. But uh, our crew did that Colorado Nebraska game in early mid September, mm-hmm. and it goes from seventeen nothing, and then it goes the other way, and it just felt like a lot of the air came out of the balloon of the season. Then, um, yes, and and in some ways, I think the best thing that could happen to them was the page being turned, and okay. 2019 is over now it's like okay we're year three this is this needs to happen now does it mean they need to win the big big 10 title this year i mean they're obviously feel like they're a long ways from that but it was one of those things where i think it's the steps have been smaller than i thought they'd be and probably a lot of fans had hoped they'd be um and i i i'd be curious where scott frost would would identify that and um, you know, from the guys I know who are on that staff who are there, they still feel like this thing is trending upward. It's like, okay, when, like, is this the year they take a huge step forward or is it the year where they take a small step forward and it's positive, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, like I think because over time, once you get into year three, I think people start looking at their looking at their watches and going, this thing should happen soon. And I think that's the part where, I think you're kind of working against time a little bit in this day and age as a as a head coach and as a coaching staff. So it all comes down to this, Super Bowl 54. Who's going to be hoisting the trophy and spraying champagne when it's all said and done? I, I think it's going to be the Chiefs. I think their season is going to end on a winning note. Yours can too. This is your last chance to play fantasy football till next season with DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. It's simple. Just draft six players from Super Bowl 54. Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Get in on the Super Bowl 54 action. Download the DraftKings app now and enter code RUN, R-U-N, during sign-up. 
For a limited time, all new users will get a free shot at the $1 million with your first deposit. That's code RUN and get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. We um, we will have to test your your uh, Matt Lubick lookalike skills if you make it to Lincoln this offseason. And Max and I can... <laughs> Get a beer with you off campus near near the stadium and, and see if uh, somebody mistakes you again for Matt Lubick. So I think Matt um, has aged better than me. I blame my two <laughs> kids for this now, and Matt is doesn't have to deal with that. So, um, God, I feel like I aged. There was a game that that Mahomes ba- uh, Baker Mayfield game in Lubbock, whatever, is three years ago. I did some athletic story on it my first year at the athletic and I went back to look at the post game interview I had with Baker and just looking at it, it was like, man, I've aged a ton since then. So, um, I don't well, think and, I'm and you I got the chance to, uh, you got the chance to call up, uh, some of those players from, from the meat market days. Right. And, and it, it, that had to be crazy to see, you know, how, how far along in life they are now. Right. Yeah. It was, it was just pretty pretty crazy. I mean, there was a couple of real tragedies in there. Two of the best players that they had pursued. One was Joe McKnight, who, who, uh, is gone from a tragedy. And the other one was Jevin Sneed, um, another tragedy. And then it's like, but then there's other, you know, odd twists in it or whatever. It was like, um, you know, there was one, one character in that, in the book who didn't end up turning out to be much of a player, but he, he was this, uh, edge rusher who they couldn't find a position for because they knew he was really athletic and i found like i stumbled onto him on instagram and he has this huge following because he's like some kind of fitness guru in atlanta and um you know it's just you know as you guys know from doing some a lot of those recruiting stories it's fascinating to go down that rabbit hole just to maybe come full circle on this i saw something pop up on my twitter timeline uh tuesday about the Vikings fullback who just got signed. And I was like, and it was Johnny Stanton, <laughs> Johnny Stanton. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, that Johnny Browns, Stanton is right. in the NFL. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, and then I, I thought went it down was a rap. different Johnny Stanton at first. <laughs> I, you know, it just, you know, like I remembered him being like kind of the West coast Tebow. So it doesn't shock me that he was, became a fullback, but, but, uh, I went down that rabbit hole that I feel like you guys probably do occasionally too, which is let me go look at who was in his signing class that year. And then you start seeing he was higher rated as a quarterback, I think, than Jared Goff and certainly than Baker Mayfield. And um, you look at the top oh, five. I, I, quor- I thought he was going to be the real deal for sure. He seemed like he would be a good fit for for what they were doing there. Um, and then you start looking at some of the other, like, I don't know, the top six or seven quarterbacks that were ranked that year, it was a really bad top of the class. And then it was much better once you got deep into the quarterback group. So, um, but good for him that he's found a place in the NFL. Yeah. It's That's uh, that leads right into the next question we want to ask you because Johnny Stanton was recruited in Nebraska in the Bo Pelini era and important news Monday for a segment of Nebraska fans. And speaking of people who may or may not have aged well, uh, we'll get to see on the sidelines of SEC games next year. Former Nebraska coach Bo Pelini back uh, in major college football now as LSU's defensive coordinator, going to work for for Ed Ogeron, a position that opened when Dave Aranda left to take the Baylor job. Bruce, what do you make of, and, and you've been around the LSU program, of course, a ton this year, 
uh, culminating with the college football playoff. What do you make of Bo Pelini back in the SEC? Well, I don't know if you can get much more opposite than the guy he's following, right, in Dave Aranda. <laughs> right. And just in Low terms key, of Hawaii, demeanor, it, persona. This is, this is not a, a Zen hire. No, but I'll say this, and just from knowing Ogeron for a while, he's always really liked Bo Pelini. And I think one thing that's a kind of a key aspect of this hire is, so Pelini had spent, I think it was three years there before he took over the Nebraska program. They they won a national title. The defenses were good. Um, But more than anything, uh, two of the guys Ogeron leans on as much as anybody in Baton Rouge are Jack Marucci, long, long time trainer there, who's a lot more than just the average trainer in terms of his responsibility there, and also Tommy Moffat, mm-hmm. longtime strength coach. Those guys mm-hmm. were big believers in because they saw it firsthand about how the players connected with him, and they thought what what Pelini was about. And, and Mitch, I read your story this morning, in fact, where I got that vibe from you, know, you talking to Amir Abdullah and some of the other players about how they feel about him and. You know, I think that in the case now, it's going to be an interesting fit just because Pelini's going to walk into, like, to me, I'm I'm less, like, I think LSU is pretty much always going to have really good defense because they're, they're loaded at defensive back still and they have really good D-line. They got to replace some linebackers. But I think he walks into a situation where it wouldn't surprise me if they actually got better on defense than they were in the national title season. The other flip, hmm. the other part of it is, the hardest guy to replace is the guy who was the grad transfer quarterback from Ohio State. I think more than any assistant coach. But yeah, you know he was pretty good. It's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they go forward from this. Well, and and certainly back in the day, uh, Bo Pelini could have uh, totally changed history by uh, re, you know recruiting Joe Burrow out of high school, right? Yeah, who knows? That I mean that uh, I, that would be an interesting what if that I suspect somebody somebody might write this off season. So perhaps well, this job and, was just a big gift to Bo for for from from Coach O for for not recruiting Joe Burrow out of high school in 2014. It ultimately led him to to Baton Rouge. But uh, yeah, uh, hey, look, well, another, point, another yeah. nice thing here, Bruce, is you know the 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 coordinators at LSU they only have to talk to the media like twice a year, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it's that much. I mean, Dave wasn't one who talked a lot to the media, and and uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where I think you'll see them on these, you know, SEC network games. But short of that, I'm not sure how much. And and just from, uh, I think I read one of the stories this week that locally um, Dirk had written, and it was it was well done. And I'm just getting to the point where it's like, yeah, no comment. I'm not talking to you, kind of thing, and. Um, you know, it's, I think his relationship with his players seems to be infinitely better than it is with the, with the media. Um, and I think as if you're a coordinator, it's probably a lot, it's fine. If you're a head coach, it can be a little more problematic, but there are a handful of guys like that who are, you know, they could care less about, about what we in the media think. They just really care about what their players think. And that's, if you're a head coach, you're probably, you're probably fine with that. Yeah, from from that perspective, it does seem like a good fit. And as Bruce mentioned, you can find my story on The Athletic posted on Wednesday about how Nebraska should feel 
on the return, about the return of Bo Pelini to major college football. I talked to Amir Abdullah and some others. And check out the Andy Staples show yesterday. Also, I joined Andy to talk more about Bo Pelini. So lots of Bo Pelini this week. Also, make sure to check out Bruce with his co-host, Stuart Mandel, on their podcast, The Audible, as they discuss the latest in college football interviews with the biggest names and give you insight into the most relevant topics you won't find anywhere else. From National Signing Day to the National Championship, Bruce and Stu have you covered year-round. That is all for today on the sellouts. We'll be back next week when the football season, the football offseason post-Super Bowl is officially, officially underway. Shouldn't change things much for us here. Please subscribe to The Sellouts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a review. Go to theathletic.com forward slash The Sellouts for 40% off a subscription. Many thanks to our guest, Bruce Feldman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.